So, like I said, we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Before we get started, we're, we're January the 1st. Every year, we're January the 1st. We're at the beginning of another new year, probably asking where in the world did the one go behind us? And James chapter 4 becomes more realistic to us every single year. It's a vapor. It's a mist. It just goes by so quick. I mean, I, I can remember it being hot and then we're here. And it's, you know, I don't know if my memory's going or if it just feels like, like God is making it more real to me that this is a mist, this is a vapor. It's, it's, it's ending quick. And I can remember my grandmother telling me, as you could probably remember some of the older generation telling you when you were younger, you just wait. You remember when you were a kid, it felt like days lasted for weeks, right? Especially days you didn't want to like school. Why did it take 20 hours to get a six or seven hour school day over with? But as you got older, as you started having kids, I see everything my grandmother telling me coming true. It just flies by. You look up and they're grown and they're married and it's just like, wow, where did it go? Now, I'm not going to give you a New Year's message on how to set goals, on how to read the Bible in a year, or how to lose weight, because you can see that I don't know too much about that, or how to get out of debt. Those things are all good, but I want you to know that the most important thing in your Christian life is to glorify God. That's it. That is why we're here. And before I get going... Let me just pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father God, Lord, I just, I stand here in awe, Lord, that you would even use somebody like me, Lord, to deliver your message. Father, I stood before you as an enemy. Lord, you showed me grace. Father, I give you praise for that. Father, as we open your word today, Lord, I pray that you would just Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, that we would be obedient to your word, not just for the sake of knowledge, but Lord, that we could live lives that are pleasing to you, that are holy. Father, just give me the words, settle my nerves, and just let me speak your word. Father, I thank you and I love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. One of, one of my go-tos here lately, and it's, it's stood the test of time, has been the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's a, great, it's a great study tool. We use it for our kids. And it's just a question and an answer. And your answer is not just an answer built on a man's opinion. They use the Bible to give you the answer. So question one in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, asks the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the ultimate purpose of man? And the answer to that question is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God. So let's look at some scriptures about that. Psalm chapter 86, verse 9, it says, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. 
Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21 says, Your people shall, be, shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We were created to give God glory. That is our main purpose. He created us for that purpose. And not just that, and enjoy Him forever. We weren't just created as robots to give glory. Enjoy Him forever in giving Him glory. Look at uh, Psalm chapter 16, starting in verse 5. The psalmist says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul in the Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's a fullness of joy in glorifying God. There's a fullness of joy. This is not just temporary joy. People ask the question, how can Christians be joyful when we're, going, we're living in the same world as everybody else and we experience loss the same as everybody else? How can you have joy? Because we know our joy is not in the world. We glorify God because we are not of this world. We understand we were created to glorify God. That is our ultimate purpose. So are we left to guess what brings God glory? Do we just wake up every day and go, well, maybe this will give Him some glory and maybe this won't? Absolutely not. Which brings us to question two of the Shorter Catechism. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? So what authority has God given us? If He created us and He created us to give Him glory, how does He want to be glorified? And where do we go for that? Right here. The question, I mean, the answer is the Word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us on how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Don't miss that. The only rule. If we want to know how to glorify God, you've got to go to God. It's not what our opinion is. We can make that, I mean, look around and you can see where man's opinion has made churches. This is how we glorify God. And it's way, way away from where God had first, this is what's prescribed, right? The Word of God which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. I don't want to leave you with that answer without going to Scripture. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This is talking about Jesus. He interpreted all concerning about himself in the scriptures. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 20, it says, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We're learning this on Wednesday nights. Where did, where did we get our Bible from? How, do, how can we trust that what we read is God's Word? Right here. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It all came from God. You can trust that this right here is God's Word. Treat it like it's the very words coming out of God's mouth. Okay. And then, it is the only rule to direct us on how we may glorify and enjoy Him. How do we know that? Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2 says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. And then, Psalm chapter 19, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. More by them is your servant warned, and keeping them is a great reward. It is the only rule to direct us on how we may glorify God. And we come to our text in 1 Corinthians. I want to give you a little bit of background on what Paul is dealing with here because this is, this is pretty much a, a letter of instruction but correction. This church is messed up. When you start reading, immediately he goes straight to the, to the problem. Divisions in the church. We know that divisions in the church never come through unity, right? Unity means be unified. Well, you can't be unified if there's sin in the church. That's what creates the division. So let's, let's just get this in our minds. Corinth was a city that was basically at the south part of Greece. This was a, um, a trade city. It was kind of wedged in between. So there was a lot of traffic coming through this city. A lot of people in and out. It was also the host of one of the, um, the, the great uh, uh, sporting games, like the Olympics. It was called the, um, what was it, the Isthmian, Isthmian Games. So it was the second to the Olympics. A lot of traffic through here. Like most Greek towns, it had what was called an Acropolis. This was a very high city. And it was made for worship, and, and the worship there was Aphrodite. And it was also made for protection, so they could see from high up. But their kind of worship, they had what was called uh, temple prostitutes, I believe is what the name was, and they would come down in the city for the men. This is the city that Paul has established this church in, right? And one of the main problems you're going to see as you read the book of, uh, or the letter of, to the Corinthians is they're holding on to worldliness. 
It's seeping through them. Even though they want to grasp onto the things of God, even though these people are saved, because we're going to see that, they want to hold on to these worldly philosophies. And as you know, there's no place for them in God's church. Every time you let the world in, even if it's just an opinion, you have division. You have disunity. All right, starting in verse 1. I read verses 10 through 15 because I wanted to get to the heart of of where we're going. But we're going to start and kind of walk our way through to get up to that point. Paul says, but I, brothers, brothers, he's not not talking to them as as Gentiles, as non-believers, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. That word spiritual, it's called pneumatikos. If you're a word nerd like me, I can't pronounce them, but I love to study the words. Pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. Now, to be pneumatikos, the I-K-O-S meant to be controlled by something. So this means controlled by the Spirit. He says, I couldn't address you as people controlled by the Spirit. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, what's a big old slap? Now, granted, Paul, Paul calls them brothers, and it's also brothers and sisters. It just goes to the masculine. He tells them this because he wants them to realize that they are in Christ, that he loves them. He's reminding them, you are in Christ. Re- remember this, right? But I can't address you as people controlled by the Spirit. Now, mind you, all Christians, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. All Christians are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, whether or not we obey is something different. And this is is what you're going to see is disobedience here. So he's saying, I could not address you as people controlled by the Spirit, but people controlled by the flesh is basically what he's saying here, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in in a human way? For when one says, I follow a Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? They had formed cliques in this church their worldly philosophies the way the way the world operated in Corinth was you would latch on to somebody that was had some good standing it might be somebody who was wealthy wealthy and because you affiliated with them that made you like you were somebody right not much different than the way that the world operates today The world elevates people, and most, I mean, here recently, it's as radically sinful as you can possibly be, and we elevate them up on a pedestal, and that we give them trophies, right? And everybody says they're so heroic. Well, that's kind of what they were doing here. And Paul is about to get, get down to the heart of it right here in a minute. So he says, you've created these cliques, and because you've created these little cliques, these little factions in the church, now the church divided. This is sin. 
And before cracking the whip, like I said, he reminds them, you are my brothers and sisters. You are saved. Pretty much asking, why are you acting like this, right? He says, I couldn't feed you solid food because you were just babes. Now this church, it had started, I guess, I think it, the best my math can do is about three or four years by the time this, from this church starting to when he, he pens this letter to them. Um, and in those three or four years, this church should have been eating solid food. And he said, I couldn't feed you solid food to begin with because you couldn't handle it, right? And the, the analogy here is great. You think about it. You have a baby. And when that baby comes out, do you start feeding it cheeseburgers? Absolutely not. That would be the worst mistake, right? You feed them milk. But milk is only meant to be temporary, it's only meant to be temporary because they can't continue to grow on just milk, but it's just enough to get them going, right? Then they start teething, and then they can chew, right? This church here was still gumming everything. They didn't have no teeth. It's just gums. He said, I can't, I can't even give you the solid food. I can't give you the deeper things. I can only give you the elementary things, and that's it. That's all you want. You don't want any more. So it's been three or four years, they're still not ready for it. They haven't grown one bit. They haven't matured at all, and it's showing it. Now some of y'all can remember back several years ago, Kevin actually preached on a series that was, it was a growth chart, right? It came from uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to go there. And if you remember, one of the main points that I, I, I took away from that is if if you have a child and they are not growing, what do we say? There's a problem. Now think of that in a spiritual life. If you have a spiritual person, you have a new believer, and they're not growing, there's a problem. So let's go there and let's look at it. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says... His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, for all these things, I just told you, right? We have this divine power that's granted us. And how do we have it? Through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. We have this divine power through the Word of God, right? And it says, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. How do we know of those? The Word. It's the Word. It's not just somebody telling us, reading the Word to us. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you that guides you through His Word. When we come to these promises and we can praise God. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This is the, this is the growth, right? 
This is what this church in Corinth was missing. They were just fine with Jesus saved me, and that's good. That's all I need to know. And now we let the world creep in. When you don't let the things of God creep in, guess what comes in? The things of the world. There is nothing else. It's either the things of God or the things of the world. Like we said Wednesday night, Nick preached it all the time. Garbage in, garbage out. Your mind does not have idle. It's going to absorb something. It's going to latch on to something, and whatever it grabs is what's going to come out, either by mouth or action. <clears throat> he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, if these qualities are yours and not idle, they have to be increasing, right? We're growing. They keep you from being ineffective or fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, he is blind. Having forgotten that, that he was cleansed from his former sins, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You will trip. You will trip a few times, but you'll be able to get back up. If you have these qualities, you will not fall. You will not stay down, right? This church was just fine with staying down. They were just fine with not growing. They were just fine with, we're going to just rely on this person. We're just going to elevate them up and we're of him and we're of this one. Now, what kind of sense does it make? Paul says none. Let's look at that. Verse 3, he says, you're acting fleshly. By the way, Everything we just read about, that church, this church in Corinth has that same divine power granted to them, just the same as we do. But you see that the power comes from the Word of God, which they didn't care anything about. They were more absorbed in men, elevating men, and this is what we bank everything on, right? Paul says in verse 3, the very first part, you are still of the flesh. You're acting fleshly. Remember verse 1, he said, I can't even, I can't treat you as spiritual people because you act like the flesh. Have you forgotten you were cleansed from your former sins? That could have been a question for him, right? Paul basically says, you're part of this church, but your behavior looks like you're of the world. And because of your sinful behavior, now the church is divided. Second part of verse 3. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a, in a human way? This is a rhetorical question, right? He didn't ask for an answer. You know you are, you are behaving in a worldly way is what he's saying. Your allegiance to a specific teacher <clears throat> proves that you just don't get it. You don't understand. The deeper things of God you will not be able to understand as long as you're hanging in this, these trivial matters, these things that don't even matter, right? Not one bit. It doesn't matter who planted the church. It doesn't matter who's pastoring the church now. What matters is Jesus giving glory to God, and that's it. And they were giving glory to men. Verse 4. For when one says, I follow Apollo... Uh, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not merely being human? Paul says, don't answer that. Of course you are. Of 
course you are. The culture in, in Corinth operated with this affiliation with people, right? I'm friends with so-and-so and they have all these lavish things or I, I hang with these high rollers over here and this had spilled right into the church. It was nothing but worldliness. Verse 5, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? That's Paul talking, right? Who am I? Who's Apollos? Who are we? We, you know, he just reminded them, if you'll look back in chapter 1, we didn't die for you. We weren't saved for you. You weren't baptized in our name. Why are you elevating us up like this? He's asking them, are we to be valued like Christ? Absolutely not. He says, I'll tell you who we are. The second part of verse 5, we are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned each. That's it. We're just servants. We are in no better shape. We are to be valued no more than you are because we were enemies of God just like you were and we were saved by grace alone just like you were. We deserved death just like you did. Verse 6 says, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. He's, he's basically saying that we led you to Christ, not to ourselves. And that's all we did. We gave you the gospel, and that's all we did. If you were saved, it was because of God. Not because of you, not because of me. It was because of God and Him alone. So why do you give us glory Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We're nothing but the instruments God uses. We couldn't save ourselves, much less save you. God alone deserves our allegiance, not these people. Paul says, not me, not Apollos. It is only by His grace that Paul was chosen to build this church. And Paul clearly says that. And it's only by His grace alone that you and I are saved from His wrath. Paul's humble response should be our response to everything. You know, pride is a terrible, terrible thing. And you think you have it whipped? And that's when it'll show you that it's right there. Because when you said, I don't have a problem with pride, that's probably pride in itself. It is a terrible thing. We don't do anything to save ourselves. We're only obedient after the fact. That's it. Verses 8 and verses 9, we'll combine those together. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He's basically saying... We're just these instruments. That's it. And even though we have a responsibility that we're going to be held accountable for, that's all we are. We see that, that uh, preachers and teachers are instruments in the hands of God. We also see that they are held to a higher standard. They will be judged more. Why? Because you stand up here and you open your mouth and tell everybody, thus says the Lord. And when the Lord don't say it, you're responsible. 
it falls on your head. Now, they plant and water and God gives the growth. Verse 10, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. This word is, is, is kind of like architect in our, in our uh, day. You look at it and you're like, oh, that's architect. But it's a little bit different. Paul didn't just plan this church. He planned, he planned this church and he built this church. So he didn't sit back from afar. He was, he was in the field building this church, right? He knew these people. And he says, by God's grace alone, I laid the foundation. What is the foundation? I laid the word of God. I laid God's wisdom revealed through Christ's cross. And now somebody else is building on it. That's it. But God is doing all the growing. The second part of verse 10, this is, this is our warning, right? Let each one take care how he builds upon it. This is what I want you to take away. Every day you build. Every day you build. Remember that. And what you build might be good and it might be bad. It might stand the test of, of the fire in the end or it might not. Every day you build. Like I said, teachers and preachers will be held to a higher standard, but we're going to see here, you, you could go to this and say, well, that's all he's talking about is the preachers and teachers. But when you get on down here, he's talking about everyone because he uses words like anyone and each one who builds. So you all who are Christians in here today, build. If you can raise your hand and say, I'm a Christian, you're building. And you're building today and you've been building up until this point. Now, what are we building on? What's there to build on? And that is a foundation. Verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's a simple verse to look at and go, oh, okay, I get it. But do you really get it? Do you really get it? What is this foundation that is of Jesus Christ? And I want to just kind of guide you through this whole entire thing. And it's real quick. So the Gospels of His earthly... Uh, oh, hold on. The Old Testament. Let's look back there first. The Old Testament. It prepared and predicted Jesus coming, right? When Jesus came, He was looking back and He was saying, See here? This is where I fulfilled this. This is about me. See here? This is about me. And then you move into the Gospels. This is his earthly ministry. This is his life, death, and resurrection. And then you move into the epistles, which we're in right now. This is the instructions according to his teachings, right? Instructions, corrections, you see all these things. And then finally, Revelation. We just got through that on Wednesday night several weeks back. Revelation, what happens? This is his, his eternal reign. This is undoing all the wrong. This is eliminating sin altogether. That's your foundation. This is why we can say that the Word of God is the foundation. Because it's all right here. From start to finish, this is the foundation in Jesus Christ. This is what we build upon. 
This is how we are without excuse as Christians on what we're building. I didn't know that was wrong. I didn't know I couldn't say that to them. I didn't know I couldn't treat that person that way. I had no idea. Yes, you did. You might not have read it, but you have the instruction right here. So that is our foundation that we are building on every day, right? So you have to ask the question, if all believers are building on this foundation, what materials are good and which materials are bad? It's a good question to ask, right? I need to know when I'm not building with the right stuff. Verses 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survive, survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The fire's not there to light it up, just to show what's been built. It's going to go through that fire. Now, how many of y'all in here have ever thrown wood, hay, or straw into the fire and it did not burn? We use that to start fires, right? Quick kindling. Throw a little dry grass in there, it's going to ignite just like that, right? So I would say... If you're looking at these materials here, that gold, silver, and precious jewels that do not burn versus wood, hay, and straw that do burn, this is the useful, the good, and the hay, straw, and the wood are the useless, the bad, right? That's what's going to be, if anything's good and it's in Christ and it's good for the foundation, it's not going to be burned up, so everything that's bad is going to be the wood, straw, and the hay. Now we have to understand, what does that mean? And before we go any further, you're going to see that all these things are going to be burned up, right? You could look at these verses and go, oh man, I might not make it in. Because if I look back and everything that I've done is just burned up, I might not make it in. Romans 8 says, There is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even when you've been building with useless things, there's no condemnation. And when you look at verse 13, I believe, 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. You'll lose it. You'll lose everything that you've done. Everything that you might have pretended was good Everything that you did in the wrong manner, right? You'll lose it all. You'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. You don't lose your salvation once you're saved. You can't, if you never have it, you don't have it to lose, but if you have it, you can't lose it. This, this is telling us this right now. Between these two verses, this is telling us this. So our works are tested by fire, even though... They might not be saved. Our works might not be saved. We are saved. That lets us know that we're not saved by our works, right? That's a clear indication. Praise the Lord, because I've probably thrown plenty of hay, 
wood and straw out there. And if it were up to myself to keep myself saved, I'm, I'm, I'm out on the first day, right? So these works will be burned up, but the believer will be saved. The other materials, the gold, the silver, the precious jewels, that's what we can say. You know, it's probably like a, a pearls, these precious stones, right? The, the things that I look at here is I look at one that, that wood, hay, and straw really don't cost that much. I'm not talking about Home Depot prices. I'm talking about going out, picking up a stick, picking up straw, picking up hay. It don't cost that much, right? It's cheap compared to gold, silver, and precious stones. So you can take away from this, it's going to cost you something, right? There's going to be some sacrifice here. I'm not just talking about monetary. I'm talking about it might be some self-time. It might be that I lose a few things. It might mean that I lose a few friends. It might mean that I have to come off of some of my money. It might mean I lose everything. Everything. So it costs something. These are materials that are useful because they don't burn, right? You heat up gold, you might get some of the impurities off the top, but it, it don't ignite and burn up. It's there. It's still gold. It's still silver. It's still, it's still stones. The useless materials... We can say, or what? They're quick. They're cheap. They don't have a whole lot of heart behind them. You do anything and you don't do it out of love. It's like you didn't do it at all. You can do good works. You can do godly things and still be sinful. If my heart is not in the right spot when I'm doing something. And it's not like I have to sit down and go, okay, heart. It's all coming back to this word right here. If you're not feeding this into yourself every day, we learned Wednesday to look at this more than the, the bread you take in every day. You should long for the word of God more than you long for the food you put in your body because guess what? I'm going to get hungry again tomorrow and I'm just going to eat. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone. You should still live by bread, right? Because we starve to death if we don't, but not alone. What's more important? Every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This right here. You will not build on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones if you do not have the word of God. It will not happen. If you're not preaching this to yourself every day, if you're not meditating on this every day, Sunday's not enough. If he compares it to food, can you eat today and make it to next Saturday? Not at all. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You have to eat tomorrow to survive. And the next day, and the next day, even more so with this. So, those quick, cheap things, right? The subtly sinful. I'm going to help you out, but I really don't really want to. Boy, it hurts because I've been there. I've done things with the wrong, with the wrong attitude. I've done things with the wrong, my heart in the wrong places. My motives have been wrong. Are you doing things? Are you doing things that are pleasing, that you are pleasing to God? 
because you just want to be seen doing those things? You want to be known for doing those things? Or are you doing those things because you love the Lord and you want to glorify Him? And that's it. That's a big question. That's the question that I, that I want us all to ask ourselves every day when we wake up this year. Don't make it about the goals. I mean, make your goals. Make your goals. It's probably going to be the same goals that I made 5, 10, 15 years ago, and I'm going to fail at them again. But look at it a little bit different this year. Know that every single day you're building on a foundation. And are you building on a foundation with the things that are going to last? Because guess what? At the very end, ain't nobody standing around giving you claps when everything's burning up. You might be doing good things now, but how good are they whenever they're put to the fire? Dale, if y'all want to come on back up here. In closing, we have a foundation that's been laid by Jesus Christ. According to verse 11, there is no other foundation. There's not another foundation, that's it. And you're going to build on it. Each of us builds on it whether we realize it or not. Every day we stack something on that foundation. Sometimes there's things that are lasting. Sometimes the things that are going to be burnt. But never lose sight that we are building upon this foundation that Jesus has laid. And remember these things. As we place on that foundation that the fire is coming. Whether or not you want to believe it now, in the last day the fire is coming. And are we wasting our time stacking with hay, straw, and wood just to pretend like they're precious jewels? Or are we, are we preparing? Do you, do you, I mean, think about this. It says you will be given rewards. I don't deserve anything but death. But Christ is going to give me rewards. How do you get in that mindset? I love Him so much that I don't want to disappoint Him. That's where your mind goes. That's the things you meditate on. And when I know more about Him, I know how to please Him. I know what's right. I know what's wrong, right? Strive for spiritual maturity. Don't be Corinth. Don't elevate men. Guess what? God says, I'm going to test it with fire. You might lift Paul. You might lift Apollos. You might lift anybody up. But I'm the one that's judging their works, not you. You're not their judge. Judge yourself. Judge yourself like God would judge you. It's not to say that those new to the faith can't use materials that will last. It's not to say that at all. It's not to say that you have to go through seminary to get to this level. You just strive after God. You run after God and you do that through His Word. You know more and more about Him. Long for the solid food. In his article titled, Right Now Counts Forever, one of my favorite authors, my favorite teachers, R.C. Sproul, says this, Let the culture be paganized. Let the culture be barbarian. But let the church be the church and never negotiate the eternal dimension of life. You know why? Right now counts forever. Not tomorrow, not when you pick. Right now counts forever. Man, when you sit and just chew on that for a minute, it'll change everything about the way you think. You suddenly won't matter that much anymore, and God's glory will be everything to you. This year when you make your goals, make your goals, but make this your ultimate goal, right? 
build with things that are everlasting, that will be able to stand the test of fire that's to come. And in the last day, there's one of my favorite videos by Nick that I had put in that thing. He said, I want to stand before God unashamed. Do you want to stand before God unashamed? You stand before Christ unashamed and receive reward for your service and only by bringing God glory. That is your number one purpose.